Hello and welcome to this July edition of The Crit, a very exciting month because it's uh, it's the month of Barbenheimer. It is. I call it Boppenheimer though, personally. Is it Boppenheimer? Boppenheimer. I think Barbie's getting shortchanged in that though, but she only get... gets the B, whereas Oppenheimer get... gets his full name. But then it's really boppy, which is fun. It's a bop. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah, that side is nice. That side is um, we we we're speaking on the day that the Barbie film reviews have been released, at least the first reviews, and um, fair to say, slightly underwhelming. I did say the Independent gave it five stars, but everywhere else seems to be couching their praise. But maybe they're just tired after such a long, long press campaign. Mm, yeah, that's possible. It's. I mean, it was amazing the lengths they went to. Right, they did a sort of Barbie's dream house with Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the I th- pink Barbie popcorn bus driving around London. I think the Barbican rebranded as the, the the Barbie can type thing on the on the tube. It, it's interesting because this is this is a design film to an extent, right? It's looking at a design object and it's it's part of a wider trend of suddenly Hollywood is putting out a lot of these films interested in American product design of a certain period in retro stuff. Yeah, which is something that we covered in our latest edition of Design Reviewed. We did. Uh, Michael David Mitchell, a very talented writer, did a piece called Death is in the Air, hooked to the film Air from... um, What's his face? Batman. Ben Affleck. Um, (laughs) That uh, he, he made a film about the creation of the Air Jordan, the sort of ultimate trainer, ultimate sports branding collaboration. Um... I think fair to say he hated air. He was very anti it as a film, did not enjoy mm-hmm. it, but very insightful as to why there are so many of these films coming out at one time. I think there's what there's the Tetris film, the Blackberry film, the Cheetos film. The Beanie Baby film. Oh, is there a Beanie Baby there's film? There's a film about the Beanie Bubble, is what it's called. And mm. it's about Beanie Babies and the creator Ty, who is yep. a bit of a character. Um But while they seem to be able to use the word Beanie Baby, from the trailer it looks like they're not actually allowed to use real Beanie Babies because all of the soft toys are these like plush, fluffy cats. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Which adds to the kind of (laughs) surreal nature of this. Yeah, that feels the fatal flaw in the Beanie Baby film if you can't use Beanie Babies. Mm -hmm. I had quite an impressive collection of Beanie Babies growing up. I had a lot. Not as impressive as Richard Goodwin whose family seemed to have an infinite budget. He had hundreds. Is this someone you went to school with, or is this a famous designer, I should know? No, no, no. I I think all listeners will be familiar with Richard Goodwin, Uh, a boy I went to school with in the late 90s. Were you collecting them to make money? Was this your... No, I just... uh, I I liked being surrounded by animals, basically, so I would just buy the animals I liked. I, I never really liked the bears, because they didn't look enough like an actual bear. And I think that was where a lot of the money was in the more collectible bears. Yeah. There was a Diana bear who went for big money. I remember a, a bear called Britannia who would also fetch quite a high price. Sounds a bit Brexity now, Britannia the bear. Mm-hmm. But yeah. There, I think there was an actual bear-shaped bear. I think I had him. My favourites were, I had a rat, obviously, mm-hmm. an aardvark. You wrote about rats for mm-hmm. the December 35, yeah. An aardvark. Uh, I had a pterodactyl. He was my favourite, I think. And I had the tiger who was called India. Oh, very nice. 
Uh, and should also say on this topic of movies, uh, Oppenheimer also a design movie to an extent. I mean, not just in terms of designing, <laughs> designing the atomic bomb. Designing a super weapon. <laughs> well, no, we actually, we came quite close to doing um, a piece on it in Decenio a few years back. We were interested in the creation of Los Alamos and this like throwing mm. up of a town and how that was planned, the buildings, how it all operated. Uh, I think if anything, we, we didn't do it because it, it was just too much design. I think we felt it, it should be a book I'm sure that book exists, actually, someone going over the history of the creation of Los Alamos. But, you know, if you, if you fancy um, a day at the cinema, Barbenheimer, Boppenheimer, whatever you want to call it, um, there is there is good design content in those two movies. Which you I seen think. first? I think I would rather see Oppenheimer first. But I think in part it's because I'm more interested in Oppenheimer. I like the idea of just Killian Murphy staring... <laughs> just staring His ahead ice blue eyes. looking horrified at what he's made the atoms do but I, I, I suppose we wanted to start lightness and sweet with our trips to the movies because this this is a relatively heavy month in terms of design news i would say there's you know there's been some nice news but also some disquieting news yeah, I feel like this has been the past few months. Usually the summer is, is light on news and instead we've had some quite serious stories. So I mean, we're going to press on with the stories, but we should say the first the first um, story we're going to be looking at is David Ajay, um, allegations against David Ajay. Uh, the, that story obviously involves discussion of sexual abuse, sexual assault, coercive behaviour. If you'd rather not hear about that, I would suggest you skip ahead, take a look at the show notes, and we'll list when the next section starts. So our big story this month is an investigation that was published by the Financial Times, um, the culmination of, I believe, a year-long investigation into the British Ghanaian architect David Adjaye. Um, there's been some serious allegations brought forward by three women who had worked for him and his practice, Ajay Associates. Um, it's a very thorough and important article. They've also published some follow-up pieces. Um, but And it, it's been picked up by all the press. Everyone is reporting on this story. Oh, yes, yeah. definitely. I mean, they are allegations. Um, they suggest a pattern of sexually abusive and coercive controlling behaviour from the architect. And many organisations and clients have cut ties with him or at least step back from projects that he is engaged to do as a result. Um, obviously, we should say that Senyo believes women and we stand in solidarity with his victims. And everyone who's experienced this kind of harassment in the design industry because I'm sure this is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. It's it's a distressing story. It's an important story. I would recommend everyone who works in this field should seek it out and read it if you haven't already. Um, but it, it it was quite shocking, I think, when when I when I saw it. Um, David Ajay has been a hugely celebrated architect, um, someone who a lot of people admire have admired his work um, and has, you know, he's worked on some huge projects around the world. Um, the National Museum of African-American History and Culture in Washington is a big one. Uh, Desenia covered that museum when it opened uh, back in issue 13. Um, and, and I think one reason David Ajay has really resonated with people is we're very aware 
everyone in this field that there is still a huge lack of representation uh, within architecture. David Ajay is one of the only black male sort of major architects. And by major, I, I just mean it in terms famous. of a famous, attracting huge commissions, mm-hmm. attracting a lot of press coverage. Um, and he's been really vaunted for that. He's been really celebrated that for, you know, having such a trailblazing career in an industry that uh, continues to be dominated by white men. Um it's a hugely depressing story. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we should also say that the three women who are making these allegations are black women. And I think that really underscores not only the sexism, but the racism and that misogynoir that is still rampant in both the architecture industry as a microcosm and society as a whole. Um, it it's really preying on some of the most vulnerable people in the industry. Yeah, I think we should say uh, Ajay has denied the mm. allegations. Mm-hmm. Um, he's insisted that the relationships were unprofessional. He, d- he doesn't deny that he had relationships with these women, uh, but that they were consensual. Um, and then he's working with the crisis and communications firm Kendall Advisory um, and has released the following statement. I absolutely reject any claims of sexual misconduct, abuse or criminal wrongdoing. These allegations are untrue, distressing for me and my family and run counter to everything I stand for. I am ashamed to say that I entered into relationships which, though entirely consensual, blurred the boundaries between my professional and personal lives. I am deeply sorry. To restore trust and accountability, I will be immediately seeking professional help in order to learn from these mistakes to ensure that they never happen again. Yes, and he voluntarily stepped down from several trusteeships and ceremonial roles. So his trusteeship at the Serpentine Galleries, um, he'd been appointed as a design advocate for the London Mayor, Sadiq Khan. Um, And then several clients have also distanced themselves from his practice. Um, Some of them have cut ties completely and some of them are waiting for further investigation. Um, So... London's Holocaust Memorial and Learning Centre, which was controversial in a whole other way. Um, That's been put on pause. Uh, The Studio Museum in Harlem and the Multnomah County Library in Oregon have both um, Mm. been pulled. Uh, I mean, this news came a week after, I think, two huge AJ Associates projects finished. There was the skyscraper, the first skyscraper they completed as a practice in Manhattan, and there was the uh, multi-faith complex in the Emirates, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, uh, uh, there are so many unpleasant threads to untangle here and uh, a, a lot to say. Obviously, everyone needs to be very careful in speaking about this. Um, but one thing is, I, I feel very sorry for the people working in that practice. It's obviously a very precarious time for them as a result of this. You know, that that practice, Ajay Associates, is so hooked to the figure of David Ajay. Um, it's a practice built around this idea of, you know, Ajay is this genius figure and his actions have really imperiled a lot of people's livelihoods. It's, you know... it. Not the most important issue, but I speak. I think it speaks to this wider problem that we have within architecture that 
projects which are hugely collaborative, a vast number of people work on, we still attribute them and think about them in terms of this like solitary figure at the top. And I, I think that's quite a warping figure all round if you spend all day being hailed as a genius. I wonder what that that does to people Mm, mm -hmm. and that everyone else has to work you know you want to work for the big name practice um but then you know people's careers are going to be entirely derailed because of this and have arguably already been derailed because of this really hierarchical um you know, I, I'm sure there are other industries like this, but it is really pronounced in mm. architecture. And when you're at the bottom, you're not getting paid very much. Mm. I mean, even if you're at um, these, the women who are making the allegations, they were quite senior. They were established in their careers. They yeah. were in their 40s. Um, and they still were put in this very precarious and exploitative work environment Um there was uh, the question of financial stability. Uh, some of them had been working out in the Ajay Associates office out in Ghana, and apparently they were... Which was being set up at mm, the time, mm-hmm. I think. This was a, a new office they were launching. Yeah, and there were cash flow issues, essentially. So they were really vulnerable. And, I mean, I just don't think that this would be the only practice. I'm sure this happens a lot when, a you know, a famous practice is expanding rapidly. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about... But there was something surprising about that, almost the sort of shoddiness of the operation in a way. Like you would have thought global star architecture firm, surely they wouldn't have cash flow issues. It's almost yeah, something well, slightly yeah, revelatory about the wider he, um... issue, that wider industry, I apologise. Uh, yeah, I think he was uh, saying that, you know, oh, we were kind of running it like a, like a startup and that was my bad, but... Um... Yeah, with all these big projects that had happened, all these big projects in the pipeline. I mean, projects that architects would kill for. And But it doesn't sound like there's actually that much, you know, cash floating about for this sort of thing, which, again, speaks to this, um, you know, I, I suppose it's the fame gets you projects, but they're not perhaps the projects that pay that much. I don't know. They, mm. you, there's something, like, off about the the economics of the situation. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's an evolving situation. I'm sure more will come out as, as time passes and, and there's a lot to think about, but it, it's it unquestionably been the dominant story within design and architecture over this past month. And um, there, there's not much further to say, really. It's a desperately sad desperately tawdry story and um, kind of our hearts go out to everyone who's been affected by it. Well, as India investigated um, serious issues across architecture this month, I faffed around on social media for my story. Uh, This is the launch of Threads, um, a new micro-blogging platform from Meta, Mark Zuckerberg's gaffe. Um... It's a fairly straightforward story, I think, as Twitter, the sort of predominant microblogging platform, has grown, um, (laughs) I'm trying to think how to put it politely, uh, more eccentric under Elon Musk's leadership. Is eccentric fair? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I suppose Binfire (laughs) can be eccentric. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, Meta has, I suppose, sensed an opportunity and tried to take Twitter's place. Uh, so this month, early in the month, it launched Threads. Um, and it's been unbelievably successful. I think it's the fastest uh, downloaded app of all time. Uh, already has had more than 150 million signups, which for a new social media platform is kind of mad. Uh, to put that in context, I think Twitter, mm, it's hard to know exactly, but somewhere like 350 million active annual users. So 150, still a lot smaller, but, you know, pretty decent catch up yeah i mean i think you took one for the team by uh setting up threads because I am <laughs> you're not... very worried by threads i noticed I, well one it's the name of a very scary dystopian <laughs> horror film so I, I don't think the name um inspires a huge confidence in me oh, it does sound a bit like that doesn't it yeah it's threads. threads is that one where like it's a everyone's living in a nuclear wasteland oh it's an case. actual film yeah no there oh, is I actually thought you were a imagining film. one no no there is a film oh, i anyway. was imagining a killer like sewing his victims up type thing yeah and also and he'd be called mr threads or something horrible <laughs> mr threads uh, um i mean we no, discussed just, cinema i i might i might pitch things. mr threads to to paramount killian murphy is tipped to star mm. but am i correct in thinking that once you sign up you are like tied into life like you can't delete your account because it's connected to your Facebook and your Instagram. You can you can delete your account. It's just it's linked to your Instagram. So if you if you deleted threads, like you're mm-hmm. you're deleting Instagram. They're not separate at the moment. Mm-hmm. But you've I mean that's touched on um, quite an important part of Threads and how it works. So th- Threads is effectively a Twitter clone, right? It, it's really really similar to Twitter. A, c- a couple of differences, and we can discuss them. I mean, but- I also it was made by the people that made Twitter. Well, that's suddenly what Elon Musk is alleging. He's threatened some legal action, um, saying that they've hired former Twitter employees who had and continue to have access to Twitter's trade secrets and other highly confidential information. Um, but like the key thing is, you know, you could clone Twitter, but the problem is Twitter's only good if it has a really big user base of mm-hmm. people using it, chatting, people following you, you following people. Um, Threads found a way around that where basically they linked it to Instagram. So when you sign up, all users, you can basically port your account across. Um, So as you say, the disadvantages, they're then really linked. And I think there are questions to be asked about, do you want the same company in charge of all of these platforms? But the benefit means that Threads is almost it's sort of useful from the get-go. So rather than having that awkward phase of having a platform, yeah, but no one really uses it, they already brought a mass audience across. Um, and that, you know, it it's quite a clever move, I suppose. It's certainly one way to solve that issue at the start of no one being on a platform and using it. It, it speeds things up a lot. Yeah, no, it's it's very smart. I mean... I think it's strange that everyone now thinks Zuckerberg's going to save social media. I mean, you know, as journalists, we can never forgive him for what he did with Facebook and the pivot to video mm. carnage that was re- wrought upon our industry. Um, I am surprised everyone's turning around so quickly to be like, oh, the new saviour of social media after what he did with Facebook, after what 
Instagram became. Um, anyway, I'm suspicious. Um, also, am I correct in thinking that um, data protection laws mean that you can't pull over your contacts in the EU? Yeah, kind of. Um, it hasn't. It hasn't launched in the EU. I think th- Meta hasn't launched it oh. yet. There yet, and that's basically the reason. Um, there's this act called the Digital Markets Act, and that governs how tech companies can share data across services. That's how Threads has been designed to share data across these services. So I think they are, you know, probably very expensive lawyers are busy sat in boardrooms as we speak, poring over this and working out what they can and can't get away with. So I'm sure it will launch there. It's not like Threads is never going to be in the EU. But that act at the moment seems to be a bit of an obstacle, you know, which is interesting. That's (laughs) as you say something that's being viewed as a savior because i suppose twitter has become quite a toxic place you know it it can't even launch in the eu because there's there's questions over how it's handling data Uh uh-huh and um you know now that zuckerberg's lost interest in the metaverse we have another verse to think about the fediverse which um, stands for the Federated Universe of Services that Share Communication Protocols. Mm. Um, so it's where so threads will work across multiple apps. That's the plan. It doesn't yet. Okay. Um, but the stated ambition is that um, it's going to work across the Fediverse, which is basically multiple apps. Um, and effectively, it means you can kind of port your profile across between them so you're not so locked in it's what mastodon mm-hmm. mastodon 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 yeah. mastodon sounds like uh, a forceful donald or something. yeah but it's after yeah. those big like pre-woolly mammoths it is yeah mm-hmm. yeah the elephant lads um yeah so it, it's it's effectively supposed to be more open as a protocol so people can choose which kind of services they use and you can move more fluidly between them but that that's only um at, at the moment threads does not work on that it, they've just said they would like it to mm-hmm. so you've been on it i've been uh, on it yeah what's what's your review what's your 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 first impression <laughs> I mean, credit to them for getting it so big so quickly. I'm, I am quite impressed by that. It feels, it feels super similar to Twitter, except really boring. <laughs> it's very, very boring and slicker and corporate. And um, one reason for that is, is the algorithm. I mean, I suppose the algorithm is basically the design of these services, mm-hmm. right? How they present data, what you see, what you don't see. Um, And whereas Twitter chronology is quite important, right? You see more recent things first and then move down. Mm -hmm. And that makes Twitter really good for breaking news and things like that because it's a place to go early to find out what's going on. Threads doesn't do that. Threads isn't chronologically based. It's an algorithm which is based upon your interests is how they put it. And actually, I haven't found much detail on how that works. So maybe some more... like TikTok... More like that, okay. except I don't think it's anywhere as good as the TikTok app. Like, whether you like it or not, everyone says the TikTok oh, app. Oh, it's it, so sophisticated. It's pretty good, the algorithm. It does deliver mm-hmm. what you want. Um, so far, Threads, I'm getting a lot of posts from accounts I don't really follow and which 
don't seem particularly well calibrated to my interests. Is um, there a lot of influencers? Because I'm lo- imagining the influencers trying to use Twitter and... There's a lot of influencers. And this is, I suppose, is the disadvantage of having that system where you're porting from Instagram. Because people who are good on Instagram are not necessarily good on Twitter, right? They're very, very different things. Um, So I think there's this issue of it's quite unclear at the moment who or what Threads is for, right? Like, it's very much like Twitter, but it's not very good at breaking news. Um... Zuckerberg says he wants it to be more friendly and less toxic than Twitter, which, yeah, I, I think is, is a good thing. Coming from the man who invented <laughs> Facebook. Can I just reiterate this? He's a changed man, India. <laughs> um, but it, it, it definitely is quite bland and corporate at the moment. Like, it, it's not... Twitter can be awful, but Twitter can also be very funny. You know, there's, like, you get really amusing things flashing up on it. Um... Threads is all a bit smoothed over. It's all a bit bland at present. Um, so reviews so far, it's a solid enough backbone because it is largely Twitter, although it doesn't have like DMs or anything like that. So still quite a lot of design changes they mm, might bring in but over time. I mean, time. DMs are now basically unusable yeah, on Twitter. They've become flooded by bots. And its functionality, I mean, you know, Twitter is riddled with journalists because it was the place to go for news. But, you know, Flying Ant Day happened yesterday and I only found out about it in the evening after I'd already been swarmed by Flying Ants. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's almost the interesting design story here. Like in terms of design, Threads is not very ambitious. It's sort of replicating what is already out there. Um, And it keeps being called this, like, Twitter killer, potentially. I guess because it has so many follow-ups. But it's almost not even killing it because it's not offering something different. It's like, it's trying to become it. What's that film where the um, woman... Single white female. Mm, It might be single white female. Yeah, where she, like, moves into her apartment and then starts dressing with her and steals her boyfriend. Yeah. Zuckerberg (laughs) has moved into Musk's apartment and is wearing all of his clothes and striding around and, like, showering in in Musk's shower and things. I mean, he'd be a better dad to all of Musk's kids, so... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's... It's very limited in its design, but I suppose, as you say, Twitter at the moment because it's so badly run and so many people have left, isn't really functioning very well. So it's slowly morphing into that position. Oh, our door just suddenly clicked. Uh, the ghost God, the mask's on to us. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know. Like A solid enough background to keep your eye on it, but who knows what this thing is going to become? And who knows if its ambition will change over time? But interesting. I mean, 150 million followers. Uh, downloads. That's serious numbers. Hello, Crit listeners. Just a brief interruption to our regular programming. I'm delighted to let you know that this episode of The Crit has been sponsored by Maison and Objet, one of the world's premier trade fairs for the design and interior architecture industries. Good news, the fair is set to open its next edition at its home base in Paris Nord Villepont between the 7th and 11th of September 2023. With the celebratory theme, enjoy, the fair promises to be a buffet of pleasures. Expect an endorphin-filled experience with displays of colourful, audacious, humorous design in all shapes and forms, as well as an exploration of how design and well-being intersect. 
In addition to Maison and Objet, visitors can also find further sources of entertainment and insight at Paris Design Week, with hundreds of places to visit around the city from the 7th to the 16th of September 2023. Super Early Bird tickets are now available on Maison and Objet's website, but only until July 27th. So uh, do be quick if you want to be a super early bird. Early bird tickets, meanwhile, are available until September the 6th. As an added bonus, your ticket will give you six months of access to the Maison and Objet Academy, where you can rewatch all of the conferences from the fair. If this all sounds too fun to miss, visit maison-objet.com to find out more. That's maison-objet.com. We'll see you there. So in our um, projects news, uh, at the start of the month, the Young V&A opened slash reopened. Uh, <laughs> it was formerly the V&A Museum of Childhood, uh, and it's undergone a £30 million overhaul. Um, and they brought in thousands of local school children to consult on the project. Um, so before it was focused on childhood as a as a concept um and they've completely reworked uh, both the building and the galleries um to create a museum that is um aimed at children aimed zero to 14 so um it's a, a great list of victorian building in east london mm-hmm. um the architecture firm dimatos ryan um undertook the structural work uh so it's now very light and spacious but you know, the old mosaics and ironwork have all been beautifully restored. And then the internal galleries um, were designed by a studio called AOC and um, designers from Graphic Thought Facility. They've created three new gallery spaces called Play, Imagine and Design. Um, there's going to be an exhibition space as well for temporary exhibitions and a, a very snazzy museum shop. I don't know if I've told you this. I think I'm in the museum. Friends of the podcast, uh, Tetsu Mikai and Alice Masters uh, made a film, which is on display there. And that was filmed in um, old V&A. <laughs> and uh, they, needed some, they needed some extras to go sit in the cafe uh, as, uh, as some dancers did very beautiful dancing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's possibly a film of me with my back to the camera um, chatting. Wow, I didn't know you were a background actor. I'm I'm an artefact, yeah. I'm an (laughs) artefact in a major museum. Um, Some powerful acting I think people can look forward to. Um, I played it quite big because I thought, you know, it's for children, so quite exaggerated in okay, my in so my background chatting just lobbing yeah. a croissant around in the background lobbing a croissant uh just shouting sometimes just shouting like tipping things over um yeah I, I'm excited to go see it but you've you've been right yes I went to the opening and there was a lot of shouting and tipping things over because they uh they brought along a lot of children it was a very it. loud Monday morning uh, press preview um, and, uh, yeah, no, I'm not the only designer associate that's attended the museum. Um, we thought we'd include a first-hand report from the child of our esteemed publisher, Chris, who is, um, under Shout five. Shout out publisher, Chris. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, his child is under five and, uh, you know, had a very, um, strong review of the museum. What did you think of the young V&A? I don't know. Okay. 
do you like this building? Yeah. Yes. What do you like about it? I like about it because it's got those toys. Oh yeah. Do you want to tell me what those toys are? No. No. Um, is there anything that you've done today that you've never done before? I looked at those letters and look at that car. Oh wow. Um, and do you think this place is fun or yeah. not? Yeah. It's fun. And and to go to it again. You do, okay, okay. Is there anything that you don't like about this place? I I don't like about I don't like about because I don't eat all day and that's why I don't like doing. Okay, alright, got ya. Um and if you had to score this out of between one and ten, one being bad and ten being good, what would you score this place? Amazing. Okay, thank you. It's it's a powerful review. Yeah. <laughs> to, to 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 their credit, um, you know, saying I don't really know, and then just complaining about the catering. <laughs> I think it's actively what a lot of journalists do when they go places. So um, a, a star for the future, definitely. And we want to reassure listeners he was. Uh, adequately recompensed with snacks after that um but yeah I mean it's a it's a really engaging place even if you aren't a child or a parent as um I was I was actually a particular fan of the area that's been specially designed with really young you know babies and toddlers um which perhaps says something about the level at which I need to be met by a museum but um (laughs) they'd put a lot of kind of fun things on the floor there were display cases that floor level, sort of soft play areas, things arranged according to colour. There was also an entire room full of dolls' houses. And I was a big dolls' house girl. So Mm. that was really exciting. I find dolls quite off-putting. I find them quite frightening. It was was mainly the houses. Um, There was a Rachel White read installation room that was a bit creepy which used lots of old dolls houses arranged like this kind of city at night time and it's all dark in there and the lights are on Hmm. that was a little bit unheimely I would say okay but the dolls houses were really cool they had like an art deco one they had um like one on stilts um from South Asia they had sort of through history time and geography represented in all these different dolls houses they weren't creepy, I promise. I heard the museum used to be really creepy, but they managed to keep <laughs> the creep factor to as as low as as one can. I'm so delighted that in their review, Chris's child went with amazing and you've gone with unheimlich. Which <laughs> <laughs> shows what time does to us all. I mean, but there's some, you know, they've managed to rework a collection that included some, you know, pretty old toys. And there is something, um, you know, that you can find unnerving about it. They also, um, something I found quite sad when um, they were saying at the opening was that when they were talking to the children about what they wanted to see represented, what their kind of issues and concerns were, Apparently, climate change came up a lot. Oh, interesting. Um, so, but they've dealt with it in an interesting way. It's the design gallery um, kind of introduces 
young people to design and design studios and mm. kind of iconic pieces of design, but realized in recycled materials. So they've kind of used it as a way to right. talk about That's nice. sustainability without it being kind of scary. I mean, I'd have been scared if there was yeah. a big exhibition on climate change. I'm, I'm excited to go see it because I think... You know, I haven't spoken to any of the curators who've worked on it, but I imagine working on curation for children and trying to find ways in which museums can be more interactive, can engage people in different ways. There's probably valuable lessons you can take from that and apply to other museums and museums that aren't specifically targeted at children, right? This is what museums of all kinds sort of want. They want to be more interactive. They want to be communicating in different ways. Um, you know, speaking to people differently and encouraging more diverse audiences. So uh, I'd be quite excited to hear from the curators how they think some of those lessons maybe could carry across into other museums. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to getting down there. Yeah, the captions are good as well. I think more museums could write their captions in that sort of accessible manner. Where are we landing then? Uh, A triumph? Well, unfortunately... You know, a lot of hard work from a huge number of people has gone into this redesign, but it has been overshadowed um, somewhat by some very concerning news that leaked um, kind of right after the opening that um, the V&A director, Tristram Hunt, personally oversaw the removal of two books um, from the museum's shop that were specifically aimed at LGBTQ plus youth and their family. Um, as well as a poster that had been in the galleries that was by Stonewall um, that uh, says some people are trans, get over it. Um, Hunt's claim the books were removed for being for ages 14 plus, which is technically outside the museum's target age range. Um, Still seems very sinister when Mm -hmm. we look at the wider pattern of book bans that are going on and... The, um, yeah, the poster, I mean, it seems fairly unexcusable. Yeah, yeah, I I think um, a hugely disappointing decision, an outrageous decision. And one, I think it's really important for that kind of material to be in that museum. I think it's kind of essential. So I think a huge loss for audiences who are going there. And I I think also a, a... a pretty grim message to be sending out to your your colleagues um, who, who've worked on this, you know. Um, there'll be lots of um, staff at the museum who are non-binary, queer, and to, to remove messages like that, I, I, I think is a, a major mistake, very hard to justify. Can't be justified, in fact. Yeah, especially as it was opening during Pride Month. Um, so yeah, it's just, very upsetting and yeah. um our sympathies are with the uh you know the queer community at the vna so next up we have an interview with paul simmons who together with alistair mccauley runs timorous beasties and they're a glasgow-based design studio uh, that creates intricate and surreal wall coverings and fabrics Um, Alistair and Paul co-founded their studio in 1990 after they met while studying textile design at the Glasgow School of Art. Their wallpapers often draw from the strange and the beautiful and the natural world, but they've designed for all kinds of surfaces, everything from aeroplane fins to tins for Fortnum and Masons, legal tender in the form of the Scottish banknotes, 
And they've also had a years-long collaboration with the singer Kate Bush. They've been creating art for her tours and designs for her records. And we spoke about the studio's new project, Whitewash Wish, which is really hard to say. And it's exploring all kinds of textures and processes in shades of white. Um, and we were also joined in the conversation by some very raucous Glaswegian seagulls. Hi, Paul. It's great to be speaking with you. I'm glad that it's a sunny day in Glasgow. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about your latest wallpaper project, Whitewash Wish? Sure. I mean, it actually started with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing with uh, Cabuzier, who said, you know, everybody should cover their, their, their interiors with a thick layer of Ripplin and the, the thick white paint. And so in a way, it's sort of playing with that kind of idea. But, you know, so it's very kind of... Um, you know, more kind of textural, more kind of to do with uh, different levels of, of, of opacities. You know, with, with wallpaper, I mean, when we first started, there was hardly any wallpaper really out in the market. I mean, there was very um, mainstream kind of B&Q, uh, wood chip, you know, um, quite nasty papers, or just a lot of old kind of archive, I guess, a lot of companies you know, we're just reproducing old, old um, designs. And in that time, it's changed vastly in loads of different ways, in the way that people use it, in the way that, you know, wallpaper's made. We've had the whole kind of digital, I guess let's call it a revolution. Um, and at the moment, I'm, I'm always kind of thinking, you know, we've reached, a, a, you know, I wouldn't say a sort of saturation point, but certainly I think there's just a sort of, you know, a huge amount of um, pattern and, and we're getting to stage where it's pattern on pattern and so actually in a way I kind of want to you know, the new wallpapers are sort of trying to work away from that if anything and actually trying to kind of um, calm things down a bit and and um, you, you know working with you know more the kind of materials but working with um, almost different opacities there's, um, there's quite an interesting technology now that, you know, some of the qualities of the handprint papers um, as opposed to digital um, are now, uh, we're always working with opaque inks and digital could never do that because the opaqueness of the inks would clog up the machinery. Um, but now, you know, as, as all these things, you know, keep on advancing, we can actually do uh, opacities with digital um, not only that you can do different layers of, of opacities so um, a lot of the the new wallpapers and the new collections are actually uh, almost based around um, white on white mm -hmm. so is a lot of it to do with the technology finally being able to keep pace with the ideas that you have in your head and in your sketchbook <laughs> yeah I mean I've always thought that one of the main things that I think we try and do is is to 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 work with the processes I mean I think you know for most designers that would be the case you know so you've got to think about how something's made I mean a furniture designer you know even if it's even if you know he's doing some sort of very high-tech metal you know uh, embossed kind of machine-made uh, piece of furniture still has got to know about how chairs are made and there's probably 
in the past made chairs by hand or be involved with the actual process of, 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 of making something. And and so I, I'm very much of that belief that you, you really have to un, you know work with the processes. And um, sometimes it might be something you know, what I would call uh, low-tech, you know, so you're trying to um, make a design with one colour that's going to be printed with one screen. Um, you have to think in a completely different way when you're designing something like that. As opposed to sometimes with, with some digital designs, you can work with as many colours as you like. Um, but sometimes, you know, using all the colours of the rainbow doesn't necessarily make a, a, you know, a good design. I think what's really interesting about digital is that it's it's been a great leveller and, and, and anyone can put together uh, a, a design um, because basically, you know, in the past when you were producing something, uh, you know, fabric or a wallpaper, you would, you'd have to, the, the outlay was huge, you know, you'd have to, you know, for every screen or roller or whatever you're producing it, it was, you know, a couple of thousand pounds, you'd have to produce a minimum of 300 rolls of, of wallpaper per colour. Um, and, and, and likewise with the meterage of, of fabric. Um, and so, you know, before you could even take a design to market, you know, you're talking about tens of thousands of pounds, um, which then, you know, you'd have to really think about, well, is this going to sell or not, you know, and, and kind of try and preempt you know, that kind of whole idea of, 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 of taking it out into the, into the big wide world. Whereas now, you know, you have a minimum run of, you know, one roll of wallpaper, minimum run of one piece of fabric, and you can almost, you know, put things out there without that kind of pressure of whether it's going to sell or not. Sometimes they do, and it takes off. That's all great. But what you can do is you can really test the market. You can see, you know, how, how, how it's going to work. Or you can have things that just exist for ages, and then, you know, one day somebody kind of, decides that they like it and then and, and you know and then it suddenly takes off it's kind of weird you know you can never really you know you can never really know um uh, you know the com commerciality of things but you can certainly um put things out there and, and really um get kind of uh, ideas and directions of which way to kind of go and that's the beauty of of a lot of the new technologies i think uh, is, is that you know it's really allowed people to to put some quite wacky things out there. To what extent is experimentation a part of your process? Because it sounds as though working with these new kind of materials and paints, there is something unexpected about the way things turn out. Or do you have a very clear vision and then it's a case of realising that vision through repeated testing? There's, there's, there's a kind of point when you're working... Uh, with your idea and and the process, and and as they come together, different parts kind of have to give, you know. So, and you have to sort of sometimes you just have to kind of let it go, go with it, you know. Take let the process sort of take you somewhere, um, rather than trying to kind of you know force it into something which. You know, um, it, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't really want to go, um, and 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 so that's 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 very much in the experimental kind of stage of things. And that's I, I really love that. You know, I really love that sort of um, element of you know not quite knowing uh, where where something might go, um, and being you know and being surprised and and you know all that kind of stuff. So 
um, you, you know, and, and we're very much at that stage at the moment. So when I'm kind of describing things, it's kind of like this. It's all kind of pretty much half baked, you know. <laughs> uh, some things are kind of, you know, I kind of know, you know, how, how they're going. Um, you know, there's some designs that are based on uh, kind of a bit of a play on the, the, the idea of herringbone, you know, the, the woven, you know, you get that herringbone where it's, it's two bits that kind of like, like herringbones um, and actually designed uh, a, a kind of uh, something that looks exactly like a herringbone. It's based on uh, the actual bones of a, of, of a fish. Um, and so um, we've kind of hand printed that uh, onto this uh, linen. And um, so it's a bit of a literal take on it, but it's, it's, work, it's working out. Um, you know, quite quite nicely. So I kind of know at, at this stage, I kind of know. Well, that's that's one in the bag. Uh, let's let's move on to the other kind of um, things that you know are more kind of experimental. And am I right in thinking that some of your designs have been with the studio for a long time, and you've gone back and you've reiterated upon them, or used them on different materials or to different applications? Yeah, I mean. We've been going for, it's embarrassing actually, it's like 33 years or something. Um, and some of the designs that we did in those early years, so I guess they are about 33 years old, uh, are still selling to this day. And certainly every now and then, I mean, they, they certainly, for me, they get pretty long in the tooth. Um, but actually, you know, they have lasted still, you know, all this time. And, and um Sometimes it is a case of, of looking at them again and looking at how you can make them better or how you can um, produce them in a, in, a, in, in a different type of material um, and, and um, you know, kind of improve them. But we're always working on new stuff as well. Um, and I guess we've kept a lot of the designs in our collections you know, for all those years, and and I guess a lot of furnishing people would maybe tend to kind of produce, you know, a collection, and then after a few years they kind of scrap it. Whereas um, we've tended to produce work that hopefully is interesting in some kind of way, and and um, and then we just keep it there, you know, and and sometimes, you know, it takes off uh, in. I can I can say this now. I can say you know it takes off in certain decades even <laughs> after kind of being able to kind of look back at it all, um, and it's nice as well I think for people because they can they can you know they can buy something thirty years ago and they can still buy it you know thirty years um, later, and I think there's something quite nice about that. Mm, and I imagine that's a real challenge to come up with a timeless design because wallpaper can become incredibly dated absolutely i mean i think you know in a way you can almost tell can't you the different decades from some of the patterns so you know you'd have the psychedelic 60s and the, the uh, spiky 50s the geometric 70s um and and yeah you know in, in a way you know sometimes patterns sort of do reflect the the, the times that they're in i mean I mean, I guess even some of the patterns that are used by the, the, the Memphis group um, definitely reflect kind of the, the 80s in a way as well. But yeah, and, I, and I, but I, I guess now, you know, with 
with the world the way that it is and, and, and people are kind of reaching out from all corners of it and people are seeing things from not only well, different parts of the world but different centuries and everything's much more accessible and I think we're living in a time where actually, you know, and I can I, I think the word eclectic has been used maybe way too many times, but, um, you know, people are much more able to kind of understand and mix things up a hell of a lot more. Um, so, but yeah, I think, you know, design, pattern, art, you know, everything kind of reflects its time in a way. Mm, and that change, do you think that has led to a change in the way that people see wallpaper? Because, I mean, you're approaching it with your textile design background and it fits very nicely into that extension, but wallpaper is often overlooked as a design category because I think people do sometimes still have ideas about it being something that you get in a hardware store rather than a design store. Yeah, no, totally. You know, the way that people use it is certainly different now, you know. I mean, you know, it used to be something which matched your curtains and and, and, and then that that those in turn matched your carpet and you 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 know and, and whereas now uh, you know, people see uh, the wallpaper as being a kind of entity in itself, you know, so, um, you know, it can just be on one wall or um, certainly, you know, in hospitality. Um, oh, there's my seagulls going off. <laughs> yeah, we've got a, a, a resident seagull that likes to attack the um, delivery men. <laughs> so, um, but certainly in, in hospitality, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's used, you know, for, you know, certain areas, you know, so, you know, some areas where you want to have an impact or, you know, it's in the restaurant and as you walk in, you want to have a kind of, a kind of atmosphere created rather than, you know, the old way of going into a restaurant and all the walls are just covered with this, you know, over top pattern, whereas now sometimes it just takes... Yeah, few minor changes and, and, and you, you can you can change a, a room quite dramatically with with a wallpaper. So yeah, I, I think definitely people are, are looking at it and using it in in, in, a, in a far more kind of in a different way. And um, we've got some very untimorous beasties in the background, but could you tell me more about the name and um, and why you chose it when you set up the studio? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, there's there's two of us here, and um, yeah, you can as you can hear, there's some uh, yeah much larger beasties outside, but the 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 name, you know, which, you know, looking back on it was actually you know it's a great it's a great um, decision. I think you know Ali came up with with the name, and it was um it was from it's from the Robert Burns poem, uh, and um. And, you know, what, what I quite like about it is that it, it doesn't define us, you know, so it's not like, you know, Simmons and Macaulay textiles or, you know, and, and wallpapers or, you know. Um, so it's quite kind of ambiguous in that you can't quite pin, pin it down. You know, what, what the hell is that? I mean, I think most people thought we were a veterinary surgery or something when they were looking us up back in the old days when we used to have yellow pages. Um, but um you know so it was it was from it's from the, the Burns poem which in turn I, I like because it has a contrast between you know timorous being from timid I guess and 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 the beasties is slightly nastier so it's got, it's got more of a kind of a yin and a yang about it 
um, a, a bit of a kind of contrast. Um, and I quite like that sort of friction in it. Um, and then the Beastie is, is a reference to actually when we first started, you know, we used a lot of unusual imagery in a lot of the, the, the designs. So there was um, quite a lot of um, insects and, you know, big, you know, iguanas and lizards and things munching on things. And, and you know, so there was lots of Beasties. Um, so it kind of just, it just worked. I mean, I think it's probably a, a bit confusing for some people, but, um, you know, you know, it's, we've done okay out of it. No, I think it's a great name. I'm hoping that the seagulls are going to turn up in a future collection. <laughs> I've already got quite a lot of gulls. Um, actually, there was, funnily enough, I, I, in, in this collection, one of the things I was looking at was to do a white-on-white flock um, of uh, gulls. So it was going to be like flock of gulls. Bit of a bit of a joke, really, but, you know, you could make it quite nice. And you've also done work that comes off the walls you worked on the scottish banknotes and then you've had this kind of long-term collaborative working relationship with kate bush could you speak a little bit more about that yeah i mean it's kind of weird looking back at you know what we kind of do and where we are and you know all the different things that we've done i mean we both studied textiles and and i guess you know what is I, I find not strange but kind of interesting is that you know you specialize in textiles and within that specialization there's knit weave and print and and you know we both studied printed textiles and from this sort of specialization which is very tight sort of little um, you know not not that many people end up you know doing it um, we've kind of expanded out the way and, and we've ended up doing book illustrations and whiskey bottles and uh, you know these banknotes and and, uh, and then you know and then, and then things like working you know with Kate Bush um, and, and I you know in, in a way um, you know I think it's probably because we're pr- pretty open-minded about you know the projects if anything actually um, I mean I don't have a I don't have a phone in my office partly because my problem is I can never say no so I just don't have, I just don't have a phone. But actually, I kind of think that maybe sometimes the job of a designer um, is is to sort of um, you know work with uh, people and work with um, briefs and and work with compromise. I think it's actually one of the big things that makes designers different from artists. You know, I think we're we're about actually you know about compromise and about you know working with the restrictions of things rather than just having an idea and going oh yes you know we're going to do this you know and um and i i i actually really like it because it kind of it takes us into you know places that you never really thought you'd sort of end up um and um i guess with the, the kate bush stuff um you know that was it was very random and and uh, you know and initially she um, I mean, I think actually initially she, she, she wanted a wallpaper for the gigs. Um, I can't remember when that was, but five, six years ago. Anyway, uh, and it was that thing of like started doing something and she had an idea of, 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 of something being uh, underwater and, and, and on, on above water. Um, and I mean, this is how this is how big it is, really. I mean, you know, anyway, um, and 
it was sort of a kind of a wallpaper idea, um, but then soon kind of realized the, the, the glaringly obvious, which is, you know, you can't really turn up at a gig and come back with a couple of rolls of wallpaper under your arm. Um, so it was like really just a kind of case of how, how you know, how we could somehow shoehorn in this sort of uh, what was basically became an illustration um, and how we could shoehorn it into to, um, so that actually it, it ended up being quite minimal in terms of its use uh, you know it was just used for the programs and we did a print actually that's right we did we did she did a, a print of it which um, almost like a kind of poster that people could, could buy um, and then since then you know we've actually been working on uh, you, you know quite a few other um, other bits and bobs um, and and it's been kind of interesting as well and that she's very involved shall we say in a nice way sometimes I'm sort of kind of second guessing what she which what her kind of uh, sort of vision is but at the same time I'm trying to kind of put in a bit of you know what what makes us us um, so and, and and I think maybe that she maybe finds that quite interesting. So maybe it does go into territory. You know, maybe she hasn't quite imagined. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, but it seems to be kind of ongoing, and uh, you know, we're kind of working on on uh, you know on quite a few little bits and bobs, um, and 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 she seems to she seems to like um, working with visuals, I guess, or having a kind of a vision which I try and interpret um, and, and then sort of stepping back and then getting back into it and, and then weirdly very uh, very particular about certain things and then completely open-minded about others. I know that sounds all very big, I know, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's, it's, just, it's, it's just the way, you know, sometimes people work and, and that's quite interesting as well because sometimes I, I think you know, um, maybe some people just work with others just because they find kind of common ground and don't let don't let a whole bunch of uh, you know stuff like you know the amount of time that you might have to spend on something or you know uh, there's a whole 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 bunch of things that kind of end up bogging down the the, the, the what you're trying to get to, and and that's it's quite it's quite nice working with someone who's kind of freed up from that a little bit. Um, and and um, yeah, so that's where we are with, with all of that. I mean, the banknotes was something you know, again, very very different. Ali, that is the other half here. He 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 was much more involved with uh, a lot of the money. I sometimes I tell people that we printed the money as well, which which <laughs> sometimes they they kind of almost believe it. Um, printed money, you know, is is probably on its way out actually. So I mean, these may well be some of the the last banknotes that will be sort of um, produced. Certainly, maybe from the, the Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, but uh, uh, again, you know, it's it's what's quite nice about the money thing. It's all about printing. You know, I mean, I mean, I, you know, when I when I look at you know a lot of the work and when I look at what I like, and it's always you know I, I've always been. Uh, really interested in how things are printed, you know, whether it's you know engravings and lino cuts and all those, all those processes of, of you know, the graven image, you know, it's it's uh, 
um, yeah, no, I, I, I somehow I don't know why I just I just attach myself to it. No, it's fascinating. It's got so many avenues to explore. Um, thank you so much, Paul. This has been a really great conversation with you and the seagulls. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for having me and and the gulls, <laughs> our uninvited guests. <laughs> oh, superb stuff! I've uh, I've enjoyed hearing the interview, India. Thanks so much for. Um sharing that i mean i suppose you have no choice it's your job <laughs> no you're welcome I, you know um, I, I am welcome we, yes. we we talk about it being the pudding and i think everyone needed something um more uplifting after a heavy episode yeah who doesn't love pudding is it sinister we call the interview pudding no i think it's charming i think okay. our listeners are charmed if you listen find it sinister you're wrong it's charming actually all right and if you disagree you can always uh, email us on the crit at designyourjournal.com um we're also all over social media at designyourjournal including threads now Including threads, yeah, we are on thread. Producer Avi looks shocked. We've, we are we've on been threads. on threads for some time. Some some questions may be asked as to whether Producer Avi is paying sufficient attention in meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Avi looks very scandalised. Um, and I think the last thing we have to say is thank you so much to Convene at 22 Bishopsgate, where this episode has been recorded. Uh, always very gracious hosts to the crit, and we appreciate them and all of their work. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Convene's workplaces in London uh, and further afield, a number of other cities also available, you can visit convene.com. So thank you so much for listening to this episode um, and we will see you in August. We'll see you in August. The Crit is presented by me, India Block and Ollie Stratford. Our theme music is composed by Yuri Suzuki with Team Suzuki at this episode was produced and edited by Evie Hall and Lara Chapman.